Hello everybody and welcome to Bruvagoon! You can get there with a road bike, but for sure not today. And not today with the topic that we are gonna touch base. On this episode, but first of all, my contacts, hello at calamaro.cc and that's my email. Then calamaro.cc is the handle for Instagram as well as for Facebook. And then you can find my stuff written tweets on twitter just look for read calamaro it's still myself and what else yes this episode are stored on spreaker but you can find them in all the platform for podcasting so be sure that you're gonna find it on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify wherever Actually, there is an amazing good space that now is around the Google search page and I really like it. They trying to put some effort there to develop the podcast and that's the thing to do. But to develop this podcast and to develop my voice and if you want to give me also some tips and whatever, you know how to do it. But if you want to help me develop this content, share this episode with your friends pretty easy just take the link from spotify and then send it via sms or messenger or whatsapp or telegram my favorite message app or whenever send out emails uh, send them write them notes do whatever stickies are also super good write down broom vegan or write down the link and share it around it's always super good to see numbers growing even if i hate numbers the one that likes numbers is simon but that's another story and today we are not talking about simon because i hate him no no come on he's a good friend of mine no the story is another one and the story is about my super good friend Thomas. Thomas is a super good friend of mine, he's an amazing stunning photographer. Uh, you can find him around Arrière du Peloton, du Peloton. Arrière du Peloton is his name. Uh, check it because his pictures are amazing. Um, we met at Torres de Gravel and we are still in contact. At the beginning of the year he told me, you know Stefan, I'm gonna take part uh, to this amazing race. Uh, it's a mountain bike cross-country stage race happening every year around March in South Africa. And the name of it is Cape Epic. And he told me it's gonna be great or whatever. And then I've checked him directly on the application, how he was doing and whatever. Amazing results, amazing picture, amazing things. And I got in love with it. And going in love with it, I started making some research and this and that. And making my research on the social my research in the social media, I've checked and I found this amazing character. Her name is Ariane Luti. Hopefully my spelling is correct. Anyways, during the interview it's gonna be bad. That he, she took part to this event several times, also this year. She arrived third, and she won it five times. One, two, three, four, five. And yes, I said, why not? Why I will not interview them? So I contacted her. Super, super, super comfortable chat straight away she started answering me and really open about a lot of stuff and uh, yeah it's it was a really good conversation and we agreed that we would continue this conversation on records and that's what we have done so it went through it was actually in our previous chat we talked about a couple of things before and whatever and she kicked off this topic saying 
Um, Stefano, but do you want to talk only about uh, mountain biking and cycling? Because actually I struggle uh, when I was younger before and still struggling maybe, but um, I got in touch with this problem that is depression. And I would love to talk about that as well. And then we touch base also on some other stuff. So this end up being a super long interview. Actually, I have it. I have the truck in front of me here and it's around one hour and 15 minutes. So because this is a podcast and because I don't like to cut the tracks and the interviews, Actually, I will keep all together. Why? Because this is a podcast. Because this is an, not a radio show. If it would have been a radio show, I would never bother people for one hour and 15 minutes of people talking. I would put some music in the middle and blah, blah, blah. Here, this is a podcast. And you are listening to that because you like listening people that are talking about bicycle and everything related to that. But I split up the Uh, interview in three different parts. So you're gonna have the first part with obviously introduction, presentations and blah 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 uh, and uh, the topic of the depression and this is gonna last for the first, let me check here, uh, 27, yeah 28, a bit more, 28 minutes and 30 seconds. Then after that we started talking about Um, we started talking about Kepepic and everything related to that. And this is another, yeah, 10-12 minutes. And then after that we started talking about media, so how to cover events on the media and obviously women cycling and everything related to that. So. I'm gonna put down in the description exactly the time because I'm recording it now, so I don't know exactly which one is the time when we sweep, but we switch, we swap from one side to the other. Uh, but I'm gonna put down in the description all the parts, the chapters that we are talking about. So if you want, for example, to listen only to the first part during your commuting, you know that after more or less now six minutes, so more or less after 35 minutes, the first part is over. And then the second part is over after 12 minutes more, so I would say 35-38 minutes. And then after that, you are gonna know that after 50 minutes more or less, you are gonna get uh, the third part. So this is the thing I'm gonna put into the description below all the details on how the chapters are divided, but I really, really recommend you to listen to this episode because it's really one of the most inspiring interview I've ever done in my career with the Broom Wagon. I was super happy to have Ariane on this podcast, on the Broom Wagon, chatting about stuff in a really relaxed and easy way. And this is the way that we want to spread the voice about a lot of topics, bicycle related or not. So take a seat, drink something cold or warm, depends on the season that you are listening to that. Now here in Switzerland is supposed to be spring, but it's super cold. So I'm gonna drink anyways a beer and I'm gonna listen again to this thing, to this amazing interview with Ariane Luthi. I will talk to you later. Allora, let's say, uh, I don't know why I started in Italian today, but anyways, today I'm pretty, pretty happy and honored to have somebody to talk about one of the biggest adventure on the cycling world and to talk about probably several hundred thousand on stuff 
about cycling, about life and about whatever. But first of all, I need to start getting myself and cover myself in ridiculous, saying the name and surname of my guest. So today is guest of my podcast of the Broomwagon. Today is on the Broomwagon, I would say, Ariane Luthi. Hi, Ariane, <laughs> how does it work? <laughs> Yeah, my name is Ariane Luti. Luti, you see, you see, and it was something it's like it's umlaut on the u. Uh, okay, Lu, Lu, Luti. Luti. You know which one is the cool thing? You can understand me because your origins are from Switzerland as well. So here in Zurich, I live in a district called, for myself, Ong. Is H O with the umlaut and double G Ong for me. <laughs> I, exactly, but all Swiss people, where do you live? In Ong. Where? In Ong. Where? You know, on top of the mountains, close to Wittingen. Ah, Ong. Very difficult. <laughs> yeah, so. we've got funny names in Switzerland. Yeah, yeah I yeah. admit. And especially for Mediterranean blood and tongue and mouth, is a bit complicated to reproduce yeah. the sounds. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and especially when you go into uh, the Bernese part, when I'm from coming from, uh, yeah, you get some pretty rough dialects there. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I need to go there and start talking with locals, so at least I'm gonna recognize the sound and get used to it. <laughs> yeah. So, Ariane, thanks a lot for being part, so for being on the Broomwagon and being part of this podcast today and uh, I'm actually uh, annoying and disturbing you today while you are training in Belgium, right? Yes, I'm currently in Belgium. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, luckily we could move uh, the podcast or the interview a little bit later. It's uh, now starting to rain here. So I could do my training already today and now I'm just sitting on the couch and recovering. Cool. That's really good. You eat something. Yes, I oh yeah yeah I needed to eat. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm all fed and showered and yeah now I'm relaxed. Okay, which kind of training have you done this morning? How many kilometers for which intensity? Um, I had to do. Well, I actually don't know how many kilometers I did. I always uh, for me the hour is more important. So ah, okay. I get okay. a program from my coach uh, with the hours I need to do. Today was. Actually, not too bad, uh, two and a half hours, and I needed to do um, four times ten minutes in sweet spots, which was around about 240-something watts, mm -hmm. and then just some, yeah, basically endurance rides okay. um, at 200 watts. Cool. So from your answer, even if you were talking about watts, but that's something that I cannot understand as other literature. From your answer, especially because you were referring about your training not in kilometers or miles, but on time you spent on the bicycle, it yeah. sounds like you are a mountain biker. Maybe I can give just a hint to everybody, a hint, sorry, to everybody to say uh, who are you, but then it's better probably for you to present to introduce yourself. I can say that actually you are, um, you won five times the Cape Epic. So you were also three times national championship, uh, national champion, sorry, in cross country. Uh, so Swiss national champion. In cross country marathon, yes. Uh, cross country marathon, distance. exactly. So definitely yeah. you are a mountain biker. But because I'm making a lot of mistakes introducing you, maybe it's better for you to put a couple of words about yourself straight away. So I will not mess up with the minds of our listeners. <laughs> 
Okay, yes, I'm a professional mountain biker uh, racing for cross racing team, a Polish team, mm-hmm. um, riding cross bikes um, since this year. I'm Swiss, my nationality is Swiss. I grew up uh, just outside of the capital from Switzerland, Bern, on a farm, so I'm a farm girl. Um, yeah, I moved to South Africa. I, I married a South African and I lived there for yeah, a good eight years, mm-hmm. or like partly. We, we were always like half-time South Africa, half-time Europe uh, for racing. Um, I got a divorce uh, about three years ago, um, unfortunately, um, but yeah, still kept riding in South Africa. So I've got a big following in South Africa and the Cape Epic um, was always one of my main goals, uh, which is a mountain bike stage race. So I'm doing mostly the longer distance mountain biking. Um, I got quite late into mountain biking. Um, yeah, only with 26, but yeah, I still enjoy it. And it's really the sport which I would say will follow me the whole the whole life. <laughs> it's something that happens to everybody. I also got into bicycle, not with your results after it. I'm still pretty, I still pretty suck in every sport I do, but who cares? For me, bicycle is not about performance, fortunately. Uh, otherwise, I would be completely smashed down. Uh, but I also got into bicycle when I was pretty old. I think I was as well, 25, 26 years old. Yeah. And after that, I really cannot... Just to give you also a bit of a context. Now I'm sitting in a room where I have three bicycles and in the cellar, in the common room, I have another one. Nice. <laughs> you know. But yeah, yeah, you were mentioning that you got into mountain biking when you were 26 years old. Yeah. But this, was it the, your first... The, your first crash into the bicycle so your first um, the first time that you got into the bicycle or everything started before and how it happened um i was actually a swimmer for a very long time mm-hmm. so my family uh was kind of into swimming my dad was a swimming coach my sister was swimming i first didn't like it all too much but then somehow i just also followed the, the path of the family and became a swimmer and a swimming coach um so that was my sporting career for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started studying sports in, in Bern at the University of Bern um, and started doing all kinds of sports. Um, and more and more I got into or started liking triathlon. Uh, I actually first did triathlons in form of a relay. So I was the swimmer and then I gave the, the badge to to a cyclist and a runner um, but then I actually felt like no maybe I can do this on my own um, and do the whole three disciplines so I put myself a road bike mm-hmm. during my studies um, and started doing a few different triathlons all different kind of distances nothing too serious actually um, but then I got more and more ambitious and one of the triathlons that I um, took part as a swimmer for many years, um, also as a relay, it started in my in my town where I moved to during my studies, okay. uh, which is in Thun, that's kind of mm-hmm. opposite side of the lake from Interlaken. It's maybe a bit more known to the tourists. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, a really beautiful triathlon in the mountains. Um and I was like, okay, maybe I can do this one day, the whole thing, because it was a very long triathlon. Okay. Um, 
took me, well, I then finally did it and it took me about almost 11 hours. So it's kind of Ironman length, but in terms of distance, much shorter, but a lot more climbing. And that's where I got really hooked on the whole cycling part because uh, that's a specific triathlon didn't just have road cycling it also had one leg of mountain biking so it was actually Ooh. four dis- disciplines okay. and that's for this specific triathlon I had to learn to mountain bike okay okay um, I was reading around actually before talking with you you know it because I sent you actually the topic so it was no <laughs> nothing really creepy out there but <laughs> that actually probably is referred to this thing that you are telling me, that everything everything started for you, your mountain bike career, uh, let's say your interest and then career with an off-road triathlon. And then I was wondering, what the hell can it be? So you are uh, swimming in the lakes on top of the mountains, you are running a mountain marathon, and then you are doing mountain biking with the bike? Or is yeah. something different? What, how does it work? <laughs> so yeah, this specific one... Um, well, it's not, you get the, the proper Xterra off-road triathlon stuff, um, mm. which is only mountain biking, but the specific one that I did, it's called the Inferno Triathlon, starting uh-huh. in June, finishing on top of the mountain, the Shilton, uh, which is actually the James Bond mountain, whoever uh, is fond of James Bond maybe remembers that one. Um, well, this specific triathlon starts uh, swimming in the lake. You cross the lake of Thun. Then you uh, cycle over uh, two passes on the road bike to the Grosse Scheidegg, a very famous uh, mountain pass on the bicycle. Mm-hmm. It's about 90 k's, 2,000 something meters of climbing. And then you switch onto the mountain bike. So you have two cycling legs after each other. Okay. And you cross over another pass, the Kleine Scheidegg, and you finish it off with a mountain run, basically, uh, which is another 2,000 meters of climbing, just running up the mountain, basically. How long does it take to make the? How did you call it? The hell? <laughs> it's the Inferno. 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 Eh? Okay. Triathlon. The yeah, Inferno. Yeah. I, cannot, I can completely yeah, visualize quite, why. Uh, yeah, you're going quite through hell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's probably why they call it like that. No, it's a very, very tough one because it's really, in total, it's uh, 5,500 meters of climbing, something around there. So... It's really not an easy one and you can never really, uh, well, on the downhills, yes, you can rest a little bit, but uh, the climbs are super steep and yeah, you finish at uh, almost 3000 meters on top of the Shilton. So the altitudes um, definitely also plays a bit of a part. Mm. Um, yeah, like I said, I took about almost 11 hours back then uh, in 2009 and it was it was really crazy long <laughs> i yeah. remember it i was completely broken afterwards okay 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 so yeah from there actually you were hooked up you yeah, said yeah i i started training um well the road cycling i already enjoyed a little bit before but then i started training specifically on the mountain bike for this for this race and mm. i went for a week to the engadin Mm-hmm. Um, just to have like a little training camp and I did quite a lot of mountain biking there and I just loved it I really love to be in the mountains not having to ride on on tall roads only with the traffic always the noise I really enjoyed to have, 
have like a little bit of a challenge technically. Um, yeah, for me, really being in the mountains just made me extremely happy. <laughs> okay, but so I can completely see the point, the, the last couple of points that you mentioned. Um, being away from the cards, I will not be, I will not to offend anybody, that, but I need to say this thing here <laughs> in Switzerland, car drivers, especially up to the pass and, and motorbike ride, rider on top yeah. of the pass, especially when uh, the snow starts melting or whatever, they are pretty, I, I don't know, they scare me. Uh, I don't want to say that they're too fast or they're not completely conscious on how a bicycle has to be ridden. And if you swing by them pretty close, you can make, put them in danger and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. they are not so respectful. So I can completely understand on being immersed into these amazing landscapes and nature that we have here in Switzerland uh, makes the experience on being on the road as well not so beautiful, apart when the passes are closed for car and bicycles. And yeah. bikes, uh, sorry, and motorbikes. So I can completely feel you on saying, okay, you are immersed on the nature and you are by yourself and yeah. you feel a bit safer out there. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah it's, it's always a, a challenge with the cars and etc. In, in Switzerland, I guess, for uh, someone who has to ride on the long rides on, on a weekend, it's even uh, more difficult, especially going over passes. The weekends are very busy. So yeah. I can at least now go on a Monday or Tuesday. <laughs> it's a little bit better then. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. But yeah, apart from that, also I believe that it's a different kind. Obviously, going on the road is super cool because you have the switchbacks. You have yeah. the you can approach the mount. You are not really completely covered by trees as well, so you can really see the top of the mountain while you are arriving there and stuff like this. Even if you can have it also on the mountain bike. But um, on the other side, being quiet inside of the nature and be yourself with your technical skills, with the nature, and maybe with some friends is also good, but there without cars annoying you, just need to take care about yourself, how you are going to move and how to solve the problems, like climbers are saying. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no. Especially yeah, to do like a free ride tour with friends, it's... Oh, it's just something of the nicest things you can do. If you don't have to care about your watts and speed, it's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's my favorite thing to do, to go on a tour. Yes, for sure. Um, in our chat, so we were having a chat beforehand, and uh, I think that probably you also told me that we can touch this point over there. Um, we were talking about actually that the bicycle for you, once you hit the bicycle, it was actually a good tool to survive and fight and balance your mind against depression. Can you yes. tell us more about that? Yes, yeah, I actually figured out only quite recent, I would say two years ago, that I really do suffer from chronic depression. depression. I didn't know about being depressed for a long time already. I just never really wanted to admit that it was mm. a serious problem that I had. Um, I just thought, you know, there were always good enough reasons. Um, so eventually, since about two years, I can literally say, uh, okay, yeah, I do have a problem. I do have a mental illness. Um, it was quite a process to get to that point. Uh, that's something I need to say. And um, in terms of cycling, 
it's probably the reason or my depression is probably a reason why I I had such a um I needed cycling so much. It was mm -hmm. kind of a form of therapy for me. Uh, I had always a very busy mind. I struggled to shut down. Um, so for me to go for an endurance ride um, after a, a busy day, it's it's the easiest way to just settle my mind and get all the thoughts uh, in one order. Um, and yeah, also probably the the hormones that you release, the dopamines, uh, etc., um, kind of help to lift my mood. I, I was often feeling sad um, and definitely being out in nature and, and having the endurance um, or, or doing an endurance sport helped me to lift, to lift my mood. Okay. Um, if I can ask you a question about that, how do you actually... Because, okay, I want to say something maybe before to this question. Um, people probably uh, don't understand out there that actually depression is a mental illness. It's not something that you are just excusing yourself. And especially the cyclists, I believe, are pretty keen to deal with pain or with struggles, yeah. meanwhile. Yes. I will not talk about myself, I'm really just a leisure cyclist, but pro cyclists or whatever, they are pretty keen or on riding the bicycle when, I don't know, they have fractures or where they cannot focus super good or whatever. And giving excuses on this thing, ah, but everybody does it, or but it's just something that is gonna go away, or in this and that, is a problem. Because the yeah. first step that you have to do is to actually recognize that uh, is a mental illness. So yeah. depression is a mental yeah. illness. If you have to recognize yeah, it, you have to solve it's it. It's really super important uh, that step to make um, to say I, I I do have a problem here mm. is is probably the, the really the first step to to get better. Um, I can tell from my side I was always you know you always find the reason for being unhappy. You can always find it somewhere. Obviously. You know. Uh, I mean, for me, that was probably, uh, or I can say my depression was probably the biggest reason that uh, I got divorced from my ex-husband. Okay. You know, if you wake up sad and um, you don't really have anything to be sad about, you look left uh, and you see your husband, <laughs> it's the first thing that you uh, start to, to think about, yeah, maybe it's him, you know, maybe something doesn't work quite in, in our relationship, so I started questioning the, the relationship a lot, um, I always needed um, the cycling to make me happy and I was getting really obsessed with everything. Uh, I, I went to the extent that I only allowed myself to do anything out of cycling or anything out of the bubble really very rarely, like once a year when during off-season I could maybe do something a little bit different than just train, eat, sleep. So uh, everything became very obsessive because mm -hmm. it was the one thing that I could control. The, the thing that I couldn't control was in my emotions. Mm -hmm. And and that was that's actually the hardest part. You feel out of control because suddenly you just feel sad and you don't know why. <laughs> or suddenly you just freak out and have almost like a nervous breakdown and yeah. you don't know why. Uh, so you, you don't know. And, and so you try to control everything else around to, um, to not let it happen. You think, you know, it happened because of this and because of that. 
So you start controlling all other things and it really became like a prison for me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and the only happy moments that I had then is when I won a race, you know, then it was really like mm. a day that oh, I finally felt released from that uh, very bad yeah, from that sadness and lethargy and everything. So it was that one moment I could cherish. So I was addicted to those moments. And all I actually worked for was for that feeling when finally something was just, I was finally content with myself. I didn't punish myself in my head the whole time. And yeah, it was like a vicious circle almost, you know, I really killed myself for that moment. And I went through so much pain, <laughs> mental pain, but also physical pain, just to get to that one moment. Um, well, it made me, in a way, successful, but it, it, it was just uh, living in darkness all the time. And with like slight little bright moments now and then when I want to race. <laughs> okay, okay. But maybe we can stress a bit more on this point. So you were saying that anyways, the bicycle for you, in any case, being out with a bicycle and stay with yourself and thinking about emptying out your mind thanks to the bicycle was a, a moment where you felt better. So you can actually fight yeah. against depression out there. But you also said that bicycle put on your shoulders a lot of pressure because your main goal was to destroy your body training wise obviously uh, yep. as much as you can in order to win the bike because you felt the pressure how yep. actually um you can describe this thing and actually how at the moment you um let's say put this problem on aside and really are enjoying your cycling life or your daily life using the bicycle only as um, a tool for happiness instead of a tool for pressure? Well, yeah, I must say, you know, as long as I was an amateur, uh, uh, cycling was my, my therapy. It was, it was only happy, you know, it okay. was only being happy and it was really, a, I always enjoyed it. Uh, the moment I turned professional, things changed a little bit. I was still liking the cycling part when I, I was just out there and didn't think about any event or any any results. Okay. Um, so it became the, the becoming professional, having to make a living of it, and I also need to add, you know, when I turned professional, it wasn't like I got just got everything and I had an amazing contract. We uh, were really struggling financially in the beginning, so yeah. there was a lot of pressure to to win a race just for the prize money, uh, because otherwise we wouldn't have had enough. Uh, money to to survive uh, so there was a yeah really um, existential uh, pressure on it to 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 win a race uh, to make it um, so that was definitely very difficult to handle and then the more I won a race I wanted to win it again and I felt pressure of you know if you don't win this again they think like now you're going worse and mm -hmm. in in my head there's only the imagination of getting better and never <laughs> never ever having uh, to go a step backwards um now I must say well once I realized that I really have uh, a mental problem I worked with a sports psychologist mm -hmm. he made me aware of it uh, he 
he could well he sent me a lot of um, scientific articles about depression so I could learn more about it to understand it myself that there is actually a chemical disbalance in, in my mm. brain you know where that it's actually just as much a physical thing as if you break a leg or have a deficiency in something like iron or you know uh, it's something really physical chemical actually okay. um, for me to understand that really helped because I was always hoping to have some sort of excuse in the form of you know I've got a shortage of iron I tested my blood like all the time because I was like why do I feel so lethargic and always felt like something is holding me back and I just never felt really free you know like light and everything was hard and everything was just like carrying a backpack full of rocks on my shoulders mm -hmm. um so that helped me to to realize that I, I had this issue and then obviously I needed to treat it um I refused in the beginning to take any medication. For me, it's still very difficult to uh, take medication. I eventually made the step to do it okay. because I was so far down in a hole that I was just, okay, let me just try it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was actually the best thing I could do. It really broke the cycle because um, I didn't know anymore what was normal. Yeah. It's like someone who always has pain doesn't even know anymore how how to live without pain. It just becomes your normal. And I had to uh, experience the normal again to to know, okay, this is me with a de depressed brain and this is me with a normal brain. Mm -hmm. And it's really an interesting thing. We were speaking a lot about it, uh, my therapist and I, you know, you have your depressed head on and now you actually have now you can see it clearer and I'm very happy to actually now also know myself when I'm uh, the depressed person and when I'm the normal person I can actually now see it more uh, from an outside perspective myself and that helps me a lot to then also uh, prepare my environment and <laughs> yeah, kind of explain myself to the people uh, when I get depressed uh, again, which still happens. Uh, so okay. it's it's not something that's just over and done. It's always something that I work on, need to work on, and struggle with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's if I can just um, as well spend the last comment over there. Yes, it's something that you have to to live with, to live with, but once that actually you recognize. The, the problem and probably also the I would never say the solutions but something that makes you feel better than everything else is something like having a bit more of knowledge of yourself in order to move yeah. away yeah definitely, definitely. But, On, yeah. yeah the cycling still helps me like I feel for example uh, it was interesting uh, when I had the off season and I took a rest I I immediately um felt that I didn't have those hormones, those extra hormones mm -hmm. <laughs> from uh, cycling. Um, and yeah, I, I went into a dip. So it's definitely something that I still need. <laughs> uh, the happy hormones from the cycling as well really helped me. Um, and also just to, uh, when I have a lot of, uh, a very busy head, it's really something that's, that helps me uh, to go for a ride and 
sort my head out. <laughs> and a ride with no numbers and nothing, just jump on the bicycle and get lost. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I ride a lot with numbers, unfortunately. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. It's very hard not to do that uh, for me, but um, yeah, I still, I mean, if you have an endurance training, uh, you can still just let your mind go and uh, reflect on a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, we touched base a couple of times, actually, um, this topic. Um, it was the topic of yourself in South Africa and your wins, so your victories out there. And we said a couple of times, we were talking about a couple of times about the Cape Epic. Now, reading around, and I got to discover actually this race just this year, because I got a bit more into off-road world. Uh, especially thanks to Thomas, my no, it's not Thomas because it's not English. It's actually uh, from Barcelona, so Thomas probably um, <laughs> that he participated to this one as amateur, anyways. And it ended up reading around that actually um, Tour de France is in road cycling. What Cape Epic is in uh, endurance um, cross country cycling or mountain biking, if you want to broad up the topic. Can you tell us more about the Capepic? And as I was saying, small brackets, you won it five times, so you know something about that. <laughs> yeah, um, the Cape Epic is an eight-day stage race. And mm -hmm. like you say, it's kind of the Tour de France of mountain biking, meaning it's it's the most prestigious mountain bike stage race in the world. Uh, it's got the most media. It's got the uh, most competitive field in the men's as well as in the women's uh, there's a lot of uci points it's a horse category race so there is a lot of uci points um, to be taken and won um it's a very very tough race it's in south africa the western cape uh it's the terrain there is very rugged uh, quite wild uh, one is really in very remote places at times the weather can be extremely hot uh, up to 45 degrees, I would say. It cannot also be cold. Like this year, it was actually a, a slightly colder okay. uh, edition. Uh, sometimes during the night, and a lot of the people are actually tenting. I'm in a fortunate position now that I don't need to do that anymore. Okay. I, I tented the first two epics, but now, um, yeah, so if, if, if you're tenting as an amateur, uh, it can get five degrees cold. So um, the, the elements definitely play a big role in it. So that makes it very tough. Apart from, for us, uh, the pros, it's definitely the competition. Uh, it's it's a lot at stake. Um, I mean, because there's so much coverage, the sponsors um, get a lot of value from it. And that adds obviously to the pressure for us to, to get a good result and being in the limelight and um, basically gaining that return on investment for our sponsors. Okay, cool. Um, how did it happen actually? I got to, how did you got to know, how did you get to know um, the K-Patic? For the first time and now happened that you participate the first time and how was your first participation to the cape epic <laughs> well actually yeah i need to start uh, a little bit earlier yeah for my first participation i uh, went to south africa with a with a friend of mine for another state race um mm -hmm. to to ride it with him uh, they've got a lot of many uh, a lot of state races down there um so we did that one and that's where i met my ex-husband okay um and he 
then wanted to do the Cape Epic with me in the mixed category. Okay. Um, so basically, once we met, everything was about the Cape Epic. And he felt, because I won that other stage race with my friend from Switzerland, he thought, you know, I, we could do really well in the mixed category of the Cape Epic. Um, okay. Well, that very first participation was in 2011. Uh -huh. um, in the mixed category and we actually competed against the current uh, world champion Esther Seuss, my compatriot Esther Seuss uh, in the Cape Epic so she was the one to beat and yeah it was extremely tough for me um, okay. <laughs> I wasn't training at that time like I'm training now and it's such a big event it's quite intimidating when you do this thing the first time with all the media that's around press conferences and uh yeah just the starts back then we still started in a mass start with all the men so basically next to Souser and I mean, shorter was maybe not. I can't even remember if you took part, but basically in the in the pro fields of all the men, you you start with them, and the pace is just so incredibly wow. fast um, that it just gets thrown out the back. Um, so I was always extremely nervous for those starts. Mm -hmm. So that was me taking part in that that first one, and it was basically due to my ex husband who um, who is. A, south african and obviously in south africa this race is is the biggest thing <laughs> okay 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 um but then it happened actually that as i was saying not the first time maybe but after that you won it uh five times three in the female side and two in the mixed side and <laughs> out of all your participation first of all i wanted to ask you a super silly stupid question is are there lions around during the Cape Epic? <laughs> Have you ever seen them? Uh, no. Okay. Not, <laughs> um, not lions, but you would see um, you would see a lot of other game, or you could possibly see some other game, which are mostly antelopes. Okay. Um, so the more, <laughs> not really the predators you would see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you uh, see the, them, you are the done. Western Cape is is not quite like the northern part of the country uh, okay. i would say the the big safari regions are more in the north and uh, mm -hmm. the western cape does have some reserves where you can do safari but it's actually mm, how would you say um it's like a bigger zoo it's, it's not quite like a zoo here in europe but um it's smaller reserves and so the predators the, the bigger game like elephants etc are kept in smaller reserves and the cape epic goes just through normal remote uh, land and there you can see yeah a lot of antelopes uh, you get the, all those bucks the spring bucks and the blessed bucks and whatever <laughs> all those yes, okay. if you're very lucky you maybe see like a little roy cat uh, yeah. that's uh, i think a car caracal in english yeah it looks a little bit like a fox okay um but i don't think you would see it when you're actually riding oh the snakes obviously yeah the snakes really you could possibly see 
then you're a little bit unlucky. <laughs> Normally, if you're not the first rider, you wouldn't see it. So <laughs> I was never the first rider. Um, so once I'm going through the path, they normally um, chased away by the riders in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Just as, as uh, during listening yourself naming snakes, I have already goosebumps. <laughs> I hate yeah, them. They're, they're really dangerous ones. I mean, yeah. it's not like, you know, in Europe, you, we also have snakes, but they never really poisonous in a way that you would die. But in South Africa, if you get bitten by a snake, um, you can actually really count your minutes. And yeah, I, I luckily didn't hear a lot of stories of people dying from it. So mm. I think it was just really lucky that they don't get bitten a lot, but it's... I mean, the Cape Cobra and the Puff Feather, which are the most common snakes in the area, mm. they you can die from it if they bite you. So the only way that you can actually save yourself is going super fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, or they don't see you or they are scared. Or make a lot of noise. You can sing. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. You need, or you need, the problem is you're in a remote place mostly when it happens. So to get the venom that would save you, yeah, you need to be very fast. I think in within a half an hour, you need to get that venom to, oh, to be saved. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so I would say that actually we can consider seeing animals something that you can find weird during the Cape Havoc. But do you remember, do you have in mind really the weirdest of the weirdest or toughest or whatever event, that thing <laughs> that happened during your participation to the Cape Epic? If you want, you can also broad up the topic and the weirdest situation that you ever found, where you ever found yourself while riding in South Africa. You can decide on where to approach it. <laughs> There's definitely plenty. I mean, I did see lions before uh, in a race, uh, but that was more up north, and we were riding in a in a reserve where there weren't any predators. But we were riding along the fence to another reserve mm -hmm. where there were lions in it. And just when we got to that fence, there were actually lions charging onto the fence, and they were literally a meter away from my handlebar and they were wow. really jumping against the face uh, fence which we were riding along so that was pretty impressive oh, wow. <laughs> to see them out in the wild in the real um yeah how they're living you know mm -hmm. <laughs> that was quite hectic and that was that was a proper african experience i can say <laughs> okay 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 so nothing referred actually to the cape epic nothing super weird <laughs> That was not that was not the Cape Epic, but there was a lot of stories. Oh, I could probably um, speak a whole hour about uh, things that happened during the Cape Epic. <laughs> you, yeah, if you do this race, you will definitely have a lot of stories to tell afterwards, and that's definitely uh, one reason why I like to do it because it's so intense and. Yeah, you live from the stories a long time. And something that you don't like living while you are doing there, but after you like to tell about that. Yeah, exactly. The type yeah. to fun thing. Yeah, cool. one of those moments was actually, uh, it was the third time, in, oh, it was in two, 2016, the third time I was riding with Annika Langval. Mm -hmm. um, and it was the first stage, and we were in the lead. We didn't win the pro block, uh, 
which made me doubt a little bit my shape. I was already suffering a lot of depression uh, that time around and I was doubting myself a lot. I really struggled. It was the year after my divorce and I really struggled a lot with the training and I wasn't quite sure in what, uh, in what shape I would be. And the first stage I had right at the end, 20 Ks to go probably to the finish. I had a little crash, mm -hmm. but I quickly went on again and kept pedaling and it was basically flat to the finish. So I was like, I didn't even look at my bike. I was just like, let's just get to the finish as quick as possible. We were still in the lead. The last time we heard at the water point, we had about a four minute lead to the, to the orange jerseys who, um, got the lead at the prologue and I just felt suddenly extremely tired and I, well I recognized that my brakes were a little bit funny but I was like wow whatever just keep going <laughs> you also have a front brake okay. obviously a good rear brake anyway um <laughs> but then I kept losing Annika's wheel. I was dropping all the time and it got quite frustrating. So she told me like, you must eat, you must eat and uh, we can do it. Just keep pedaling. So she tried to encourage me and guide me, but I kept dropping off her wheel, even on a flat road. So I just thought I was really done and just tired and useless in a way. Okay. <laughs> so with two Ks to go from the finish, uh, the team who was chasing us overtook us um, and it was actually even going slightly downhill and I just couldn't stay with them. Uh, I was, I thought I was completely done. So I reached the finish, we came second on the day and I was completely broken, really like, <laughs> well, mentally and physically, you know, being overtaken just before the finish, uh, we were having a good lead actually. Uh, I really thought, well, I don't have it. I, I, I was doubting myself so much. Um, I just thought, no, I can't do this anymore, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was crying and completely emotional about it. Um, luckily, my team could kind of just freshen me up and getting me ready for the podium and the media stuff, the press conference afterwards. So I went through all that and walked to my team. Uh, area where my mechanic was working on my bike and he was like, Arian, you know that your brake was completely blocked. <laughs> ah, so you were pedaling <laughs> with the brake. Why didn't you, why didn't you open the brakes, you know? <laughs> and I was like, really? Oh no. <laughs> so I was actually, I bent my road disc, uh, rotor, yeah. uh, or the brake rotor and yeah, blocked my rear brake completely. So I had to pedal so much harder. It was a good training. Yeah. So that was, that was quite a story. <laughs> and then you ended up winning it. Well, yeah, that was, uh, mm -hmm. the next day that was probably one of the, the best days or just most memorable days in the epic it was actually the 100th uh, stage of the cape epic ah. so it was quite a special thing anyway and so we had not such a good start i could probably still feel a little bit the effort from the previous day uh, so we were a long time we were riding in fourth position and slowly we could catch one team off the next and um it was 
was it basically finished with a long downhill and we went into the downhill as the third team and i just i actually knew the downhill from my first particip participation uh, in 2011 we did the same route uh, and so i just like okay i'm gonna give it my all here and we managed to overtake the two teams in front of us so we were leading when we came out of this downhill and actually managed to keep the leads to the finish so it was such a that was really at the most amazing feeling after this very bad first day where i thought i'm just i can't do it anymore and i'm absolutely useless to then win the stage uh yeah that was probably one of the best moments <laughs> So actually, you mixed up the two questions that I wanted to ask you. So, <laughs> and I love it. So I ask you something like the weirdest thing that happened to you, and actually riding an old stage with your brake pull, your brake pulled. It's super cool. And then also the win of the day yeah. after. I don't know. Do you want to mention another super epic thing that happened to you out there, or do you think that you are satisfied with that? Yeah, well, there's many, many souvenirs. I mean, we had once a penalty, uh, the one here uh, that we had to get back. Uh, that was probably also one of the craziest things. Um, we, we accidentally uh, took a shortcut because we saw an arrow the wrong way, mm -hmm. Anik and I. And then um, we, we got a penalty after that. And I mean, that's super hard, huh? an hour penalty. It's really something that's for a tough pill to swallow. Luckily, it was like on the second day that we got it, on the second stage. And actually, we thought, you know, we were going to take the whole week, the whole rest of the race to, to make it up. But funny enough that here, so many teams had problems with their health, actually. Um, the day after... I think two teams pulled out or got sick. Okay. Something like stomach bug and another team. Well, they didn't pull out, but the actual leaders, uh, Robin de Gruet, um, well, the leaders after we got the penalty, um, she had some sort of virus, um, which she only found out after the epic, but she just, her performance was just completely off. And so it was quite weird. In within a day, so on the third stage, after we got the penalty, we could already make up all the time. Crazy. <laughs> to came back the orange jersey again, which okay. was crazy, you know. So everyone thought we were these superhumans. I mean, to make up more than half an hour in one day to your closest competitors is like, insane actually it's insane for sure. <laughs> but it was yeah if one looks at it a little bit closer into it it was actually due to the other teams really all having health issues and so yeah it was but yeah it was quite a crazy crazy day <laughs> yeah but still keeping it up come on it's great <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let me think about something else that we wanted to talk about. I don't know. Do you have any other thought or uh, thing that you want to pinpoint or whatever about the Cape Epic? Otherwise, well, yeah. I mean, it's maybe the other topic that you wanted to 
touch on is the, the, the woman's uh, Exactly. Psychic. We can link those. <laughs> yes, yes. But I don't know if, yeah. Yeah, we can you, go ahead. Perfect. Do you want yeah. to ask a specific question about no. it? or? Uh, no, no, no. Actually, I wanted exactly if uh, I was thinking about linking the two topics because you were mentioning... Um, like how the Cape Epic is a race where the media coverage is massive. Um, actually, the Cape Epic, I believe, is one of those races where, correct me if I'm wrong, obviously, uh, where because talking about um, a stage race and talking about, anyways, these are really endurance races and uh, mountain bikes, so where also the skills are pretty interesting, more than strength, probably. These um, kind of events are really something that where the difference, the physical difference between woman and man can really disappear, will blur themselves. But what do you think about this topic, actually? And also on the other side, how do you see during the Cape Epic um, the diff if there is any, the difference of media coverage between women and men or the difference also sponsorship and support to the different uh, categories and if you see so many differences or if you see something like really can go together in, uh, in a fair way. Mm. Well, the first part is like what you mentioned, uh, the physical difference disappears a bit. I wouldn't... I wouldn't quite say so. There's definitely okay. uh, still, uh, even um, over the long eight days, you know, um, women are biologically <laughs> weaker in that sense. Um, mm. I would never dare to say that we, we can get to the level of the men. Um, I would say, though, that women aren't, or, or that a woman's sport is still... It, it's developed a lot, but it's not as developed as far as the men um, due to very good reasons. <laughs> so we still have a lot more potential. So we will definitely close uh, um, more to the men. So the gap between us and the men will get smaller, but okay. it will never quite be closed. Okay. It's, it's my assumption. Mm. But that doesn't mean we don't have the right. It's, it's just... We basically biologically a little bit handicapped. <laughs> so, we, um, but that doesn't mean that our performance is less worth because sure. a race is a race. And the nice thing about cycling is the tactics. And I mean, we're going through all those same elements with actually a slightly weaker body and it affects us all the more. Um, and we have just as many interesting fights uh, on a bike. Uh, as the men do what's to be honest what's still missing in the women is the dip especially in something like the cape epic mm -hmm. uh, where there is probably 10 teams in the men's category fighting for for podium positions or even 15 in the women's it's five to six teams so it's still quite a bit less um and it, it needs to grow. and But there's very good reasons for that. And one needs to always see the bigger picture. And uh, one actually needs to understand just the whole history and the development of sports. So one needs to go look where we coming from and where the men coming from. And then all it all makes a lot of sense. And we actually, for the circumstances, 
that we are coming from, we are doing really well. Yeah. <laughs> the women's sport developed really, really fast. Um, we basically, the first Olympic race for the men was 1896 cycling race. The first women's cycling race, uh, I think I remember it correctly, was in 1984. So it's almost a hundred or like 90 years of a difference. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's... It's almost, uh, yeah, a century of a difference that when we started to get really involved in the sport, we, we had to make up a lot of time in a very short time to, to catch up, you know. And, and looking at just the history of things, it's just so obvious that we are not quite there with the competition like the men. And it also explains the whole situation where we act with women cycling, not quite getting the coverage like the men's uh, because, yeah, it wasn't there for such a long time. You know, all those Tour de France's uh, before the 80s where women weren't even racing uh, properly on bikes. Um, that's just all history that that's happened and has been captured and it became such a tradition which the women just didn't have luckily mountain biking is a younger sport mm -hmm. so the whole cross-country olympic mountain bike sport is is really quite young uh, mountain biking started in the 80s um so we actually have a bit of an advantage and i think that's also a reason why um the cape epic had less and, and south africa as such is It's also young or, or fresher into cycling than Europe. In Europe, cycling has a huge tradition and mm -hmm. a long, long history. In South Africa, it's less so. So they, we actually got pretty equal coverage at the Cape Epic. It wasn't there from the beginning when I was taking part. Mm -hmm. um, we got equal prize money at the Cape Epic 2014, maybe already... Sucks. I don't want to say something wrong, but it was 13 or 14 okay. that the prize money got equal at the Cape Epic. Um, and then the coverage, really, they make an effort to, to give us as much as possible equal coverage, um, which is really amazing. And if one looks at road cycling, I mean, there was just a big discussion about all the Arden classics, all the races from the ASO, uh, <laughs> which were in uh, covered uh, this last week uh, Flesh, uh, Flesh Wallon and um, Liege Bastion, Bastogne Liege mm -hmm. wasn't on TV um, it's, it's such a I mean it's a disgrace actually <laughs> uh, that it's not on TV yeah. um, but there the road cycling just has still a much longer tradition that it's a men's sport and it will have it much harder to break through those walls um, of, yeah, we've always done it this way and we will keep it this way. Um, whereas mountain biking is, uh, because it's a bit younger, uh, it was a little bit easier to, I mean, also the UCI made equal, equal prize money for mountain biking much earlier than they did on the road. The World Cup prize money is the same. Uh, um, the broadcasting of the World Cup uh, cross-country races was always the same on Red Bull. I mean, it was right after each other. 
uh, cyclocross and road racing, uh, they're still struggling to the day to actually get it, get it right and have uh, a women's and a men's race uh, at the same day. So, yeah, it's it's still a lot to do. Um, I believe that a lot can be done with coverage because if one knows the actors in the sport better. Yeah. If one can see it, that it is a female sport on a big screen, in adverts, uh, anywhere visible, then women associate it so much better and there will be more women taking part. It has a whole um, chain reaction to it. Um, and then it will also be, will create more interest. So now one can see also with the road racing that are broadcasted. I mean, now we got to know Cecilia Utrup with her funny interviews after the finish. And mm-hmm. yeah, we get to see uh, Anna van der Breek and one can actually see how, how the women's race uh, comes together. You know, it's road racing is not just about the result. And the same is mountain biking. Yeah. If you haven't seen that this person had a flat and this one had a crash, I mean, then the result has a whole different meaning, you know. Um, so one needs to see the whole hour and not just the result sheet um, to understand uh, the sport and especially the women's cycling. Um, and I think that's that's a really, really important part of it. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting. Maybe um, I want to start something like a line of thought here. Let's let's say if we can follow it, and then I will ask you actually the question at the end here. Like really, woman that is actually uh, as commitment and as thoughts and as um, also something like uh, an idea on how to develop these things. So uh, follow me in this line of thoughts and tell me uh, what you see right or wrong over there. So why everybody of us wants to have a bit more visibility in women's sports in general and women cycling in particular? Because actually the idea that we want to share out there is that everybody and when i'm saying everybody i mean really uh no matter what is the gender difference if there is any or so sorry no matter if you're a man woman or any kind of other things that is in the middle uh probably i was a bit rough on that but anyways anybody (laughs) doing sports this is the thing that we want to do and everybody doing sport and being treated equally why do we want this we want so this is the main goal because actually sport is something cool and sport is something that can develop your brain in a different way and also the culture of sport if it's made taking out all the shit that is sexist or racism and everything that is like this is a good thing and in order to get out all these things out of the sport we need to have everybody involved in order to have this involved we need to share uh, through social media or to media in general, let's say traditional media, every kind of sport outdoor, out there with broadcasting, everything yeah. that could be. Obviously, the biggest one, the biggest, but biggest broadcasting is still TV. So we want yeah. to have everybody involved into the sport, and in order to be to do that, we need to all the sports to be actually out there in the media. In order to the media to cover all the sports. <laughs> we need the the money so sponsors that are investing into the sports in order to have more visibility and giving money to the broadcasting 
So this is actually the main chain, I would say, that we have to do. Everything, unfortunately, is based on money and not on yeah. ethic. Yeah. Then, if actually everything like this, it's uh, it looks like because the money are moved in a cultural way, because sexism is actually a culture, a bad cultural thing, but it's a cultural thing. In order to break this uh, problem over there, I believe that probably some um, sponsors or some companies that care about this equality to sell more, but also because it is in their ethic line, they can probably jump this line, the line of the broadcasting. How you can do that? Maybe uh, that this could be actually the companies or the events itself. Actually jumping on the traditional broadcasting line and media line by publishing on the channels that right now, in the good and in the bad, are pretty free outdoor. Uh, that I'm talking about, I don't know, all the internet, so all the YouTube, all the Facebook, all the social medias and stuff, you can jump this out, showing around the most that you can out of the sport itself. And this can help actually giving the money also to, their, uh, to the people that are organizing the, the events and stuff to show out the sponsor, people that are doing it and stuff like this. Why do you think this is still not happening once? And in your opinion, is this something that can be done? I mean, if nobody's showing out my event and so I'm not sustainable to make this event because if nobody shows it out, nobody's gonna invest on that, then I'm gonna show myself it through social media and I'm gonna ask for the participation for the old people that are participating there in order to make it hype and then that somebody else will recognize it and then yeah. move ahead. What do you think about that? Yeah, um, one thing to mention is it's definitely, look, it's definitely got to do also with economics and in that sense, um, it's, it's a competition about, you know, what people want to see. Mm. Um, so, I mean, to cover everything is impossible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's a competition between what will be shown and what not. Um, and that has to do with certain interests. And at the moment, it's very much based on tradition. What's always been there stays there. Um, the thing is, though, uh, a good example is actually cyclocross. Apparently, I heard the story. Um, uh -huh. I never really uh, fact-checked it, but I heard the story that um, cyclocross is that popular in, in, in the Benelux because it actually took the place of soccer at one stage when uh, the TV stations lost the broadcast um, rights for, for the soccer league mm -hmm. uh, for a year or something. And during that prime time, then they showed cyclocross because it actually was kind of the same length and they could just fill it with that. And because they brought this on TV, it became so incredibly popular here yeah uh, speaking of belgium and ne the netherlands um that it, it just uh, kind of took its own way so that just that just shows um when you actually start showing something it creates immediately also interest yeah so it's not just what is interesting um will then also be showed 
stuff that will be showed becomes interesting. So it's quite kind of an important thing to, to recognize. So yes, I think to answer the second question, if you start showing, but then it's obviously important to use a way and channels that actually have access a lot of people. So if you start covering it in your own way over social media, etc. And that's actually, um, women's road cycling is that doing that quite a bit. I see often races are not actually on live TV, but you can follow some link on Facebook. Uh, there was some person races on, on a Facebook page that you could follow. Um, so at least you could actually see the whole race, even though it wasn't on a, um, how you say, like a, a normal TV channel. Yes. Um, so I think it, it will definitely help. And events must do that even already just to um, actually, well, it depends how much they need to invest. So it's, it's obviously uh, they need to see how expensive it is to do the coverage. But I think it's always worth also just to return something to the event sponsors to create your, your own media and a lot of south african races are actually doing that okay and they have quite a lot of success so they always have very very good um media people at the races um really making amazing pictures first of all i mean if you see the pictures of epic it's it's mind-blowing but that's almost the quality at any little race mm-hmm. and they all have like little uh there's so many like media groups there that are used to covering mountain biking now. They're actually almost specialists uh, by now to make really great content. And then they just feed it to like a private TV sports station and uh, they get like a little summary there. So um, there's always taking someone taking that because it's really a nice uh, content. And I think... Um, events should actually bother about that a little bit more and i think events in europe if i think of marathon uh, so mountain bike marathon events they should rethink a little bit their investments and how they organize the events but because it's definitely moved on a little bit uh, and they they still do it a very in a very old school way. I mean, you could use Twitter mm. a lot more so people can actually follow. Or yeah, so I think Europe is there a little bit more old school than uh, English speaking countries, if I can say that. No, I can completely see the point when it. Uh, when we need to talk about, I, I, you know, my daily job is actually, unfortunately, not completely into media, but doing online marketing, you can see that on where people are investing and they're investing their time also to consume content and whatever. When it comes to Europe, uh, you can really feel that still 90% of the yeah. people rely only on, for example, TV news yeah. or they yeah. are watching Facebook sports. A little bit. But Twitter and Instagram Twitter and hasn't really landed here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, not in the not in the way that you can. So it landed here if it would be anything like I don't know. I can see like people are using Instagram here, and when I'm talking about Switzerland, I can talk about everything else probably. Um, like I don't know, Instagram is something like uh, flipping the pages of a gossip magazine, following only somebody who is already super well known because probably yeah. they are on TV. 
And same thing with the sport, following the, uh, when you're talking about Italy in this case, following only the champions, affirmed champions of uh, football and whatever, flipping the pages like, ah, okay, gossip things. You know, while you have a potential out there when you're talking about live streams, when you're talking about um, telling a story about a special event, telling something like from the back door, how a cyclist or also a football player is training to get where he is now, that is not completely used at all. Yeah. No. Yeah. But it's also never... I just think if you would do it really well and you, like, let's say you're in an event and you have obviously participants and um, you tell those participants, listen, we, we're going to cover the race like this and that. Please share yeah. uh, with your friends, um, you know, that they can follow and it will speak around. And if you do it in a good way and there's just not so many people doing good social media at events. I mean, like, if you follow a road race and you follow, um, yeah, I'm just saying, quick step, they're doing it really great. I mean, you can basically imagine the race just by following their Twitter feeds. Yeah. <laughs> and, and stuff like that uh, doesn't happen, really, with any event. Um, uh, I know in mountain biking, like a, a big marathon in Switzerland or Belgium, it's just not in existence. Yeah, maybe it's something that like, uh, we can work on, actually, really. Trying to push the <laughs> yeah, events, organizing, yeah, yeah. on doing a bit more of social media, backdoors and whatever, and taking some cool examples. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that we can go, we can walk. It was an amazing chat, by the way. I really <laughs> love, love this point. It took a bit, all, a bit more than I was thinking about, but it's a great, great, great point, actually. I really like your angle on tackling the thing. But still, I don't want to let you leave and finish this call without, because I have you here on my microphone, actually on the other side of the phone. And I want to ask you as Swiss, where can I go? What would you suggest me? Something like cool path or single trails or whatever that a super unskilled cyclist like myself can do on a gravel bike. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually a really bad guy. So everyone, anyone who ever rode with me in Switzerland. Um, so you are one that story of getting lost somewhere with me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, um, but no, I was actually uh, thinking a little bit about it. Um, well, I mean, you really have to come, if you're in Zurich, you really have to come to the Berner Oberland to, mm -hmm. the, to see a bit the Alps. So uh, why not go to Interlaken? A lot of people know that place, I believe. It's kind of a tourist hub. Uh, I think it's 50% Asian during the, the touristy times. Okay. <laughs> um, no, it's actually a very nice town. And there you can go around the Lake of Brienz. Okay. The Lake of Brienz is really, really nice in color. It's uh, The water looks really like uh, turquoise. Um, and you can see, obviously, from Interlaken, like, in the big 4,000 there, especially the Jungfrau uh, mountain, um, top of Europe. Uh, it goes a train up there, so it's the highest train station in Europe up there. Okay. So you, you always have that scenery around you when you're going around the lake. And there is actually, so you can normally also go on the road bike. I do this uh, loop also on the road bike 
then you take the tar off. But if you're on the gravel bike, there is also actually a small path a little mm -hmm. bit more um, away from the lake. But it, it is actually marked even. So Switzerland has a lot of cycling paths that are marked. You can actually just check out uh, Swiss mobility and yeah. have a lot of maps and follow arrows. But along the lake of Brienz, you get like a little gravel path that goes all the way. And on the other side um, of the lake, you come past the um, Giersbach Valley, which is a very cool waterfall. So it's also kind of a tourist attraction. And you basically go past it. You just have to watch out a little bit for the pedestrians and tourists there. But it's, it's really pretty. Uh, on that side, you also have a bit more climbing, so you okay, get great. also a bit of a workout done. But it's never really difficult. You mostly have just gravel roads, a few bridges, and yeah, just sometimes when it's wet, you've got to be careful that you don't slip out. But um, it's a very, very pretty ride around the lake, and it's about 40 kilometers. Oh, okay. So it's really for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like a really nice... Uh, um, Chill ride, I would say. Yeah, an easy, cool. an easier day. Perfect. Obviously, you can do a lot more. You can add if you want to have a really big ride, then you can go up some passes there uh, <laughs> okay. and go a little bit to the higher level. Um, that I would recommend when it's a little bit warmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have it already <laughs> in my agenda for July. But uh, at the moment, I think those passes are still closed. <laughs> yes, yes, it's still early, still early. Let's wait for the beginning of June for that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Ariane. It was really great. Play. There is anything else that you want to add? Anything? Um, no, thanks. Uh, it was really nice um, to chat about those things. Uh, I just want to say, yeah, um, the, the people out there, I hope... If you're affected by anyone who's got depression, um, yeah, it's really something to be taken seriously. It's mm -hmm. not something that just, you just make up. Um, and there's definitely people that can help with that, uh, professionals. It's important to to look for help if, if one uh, suffers from anything like that. Um, and in terms of women's cycling, I, I know uh, it's... It's still progressing a lot, and I really look forward to see in a few years uh, uh, every race uh, from the World Women's Tour on TV, and hopefully a much bigger field at the Cape Epic. What about, actually, the, I didn't want to jump in with the last question, but I need to ask you this last question. Um, you're talking about these kind of things really, um, really in a passionate way. Do you see something, something like a commitment or any kind of, um, let's say, helping in development, woman cycling or health issues struggling in the sport team as something that you are going to do in the future? Or you are still thinking about cycling and this is what I would do for the next 25 years and then what comes, who cares? Well, actually, yeah, in, in, I've been thinking a lot about what I would do after my career because... Um, yeah, I never quite know. It, it's really not easy to, to make a living of it. Um, mm. and financially it's, it's okay at the moment, but you never quite know what's next year. Yeah. Um, so it is something that's going on in my head and 
of course, it's the two things I'm very passionate about, women cycling and developing that, but then also the psychological part. I actually did study sport and okay. um, wrote my master's thesis in sports psychology, and it's something that I definitely um, know a lot about it and also <laughs> I had a lot of uh, or was dealing a lot with. Um, but yeah, how it actually can look like, uh, that I'm not quite sure yet, because <laughs> it should still allow me to cycle as well in oh, for sure. form. And to, to balance that, uh, I still have to find that perfect job for after my career. Take your time. Uh, you are the one. Actually, if you said, uh, as like you said before, you are the one that when it's going to be out, if you don't have a truck that is completely set up, or if you are guiding somebody outdoor when you're riding the bicycle you're getting lost this is not getting lost like in life that's never a getting lost thing it's just creating your own path that's something that i'm telling to myself all the time because i really also struggle to take a line i like to do a lot of stuff and on the other side when i'm out with the bicycle i really like to follow the stream instead of following a route on my bicycle <laughs> computer so yeah it's just a matter of time take your old time in order to get the best out of it so that's right. Yeah. Yes. It's a journey. <laughs> exactly. And you are never losing any time by following the journey. So. No, no yeah. that's true. Always learn something. <laughs> exactly. At least learning. Yes. Cool, Ariane. It was really, yeah, as I was saying, great pleasure. And uh, yeah, I would say good, best of luck for the, next, the rest of the season, your all adventure and the future and whatever. And have a lot of fun on the bike. Thanks, yeah. Very nice to chat to you and all the best. Yeah, to you too. Ciao, ciao. Thanks, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Ariane. It was really great pleasure and great fun to talk with you that day and still listening to this interview today. Really, really thank you for your open mind and your really transparency on talking about stuff that can be really really tough to talk about and i want to say as well give me one second i'm checking my phone here because um ariane took part as well last weekend to um cross country marathon in belgium and is the bemc as i remember but let me check because probably be yes the bmc 2012 don't know why 2012 and she was into the third first three places for the old race but just at the last stage she dropped out and she finished fourth great result anyway so congratulations just for you to understand what's the bemc i just want to tell you who was uh, the first um, yeah, the first classified, how do you say? The rider who arrived the first in this race was, ah, wait a second, because I'm missing it, uh, always like this, was Semil Trommer, amazing rider, she really crashed everybody out there, she seems like it was the, the best one. While on the men's curse, the champion of the race was Matthew van der Poel, you know him, right? So, just for you to understand which one is the importance of this race and such an amazing results was the fourth place for Ariane Luthi. 
Um, so yeah, uh, super, super happy to have her on this microphone and uh, yeah, hopefully we're gonna talk again soon. Hopefully because she lives not so far away from Zurich, we can also have a ride together. Yeah, I know what you're thinking about people, probably I need to kick off also my um, cross-country ride season probably next year, but do I really want to move also to cross-country? I have already four bicycles here in my room. Maybe it's too much. I don't know. I will check, but I would be super fascinated by that. What else to say? I think that I need to cut it down because it's going to be really super long this episode today. But so you can listen to that for the whole week and everything is going to be fine. Remember that if you want to contact me, just Instagram.com, you can find Instagram.com. On Instagram, you can find myself with the handle of Calamaro CC as well as on Facebook, while on Twitter, I'm Reed Calamaro. And hello at calamaro.cc is my email, and this episode is hosted on Spreaker, but you can find it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and as well as Spotify. The most important ones, everything else is going to be there. What else? I would say that nothing else. So I hope to talk to you next week. I probably will, probably not. Who never knows? For sure I'm going to talk. If you want to listen to me, you know where to find me. For now, have a nice week and bye. <laughs>